Howdy! This is Dave Hill, and this is issue 43 of Dave Does the Comics. This is my now monthly comic book review podcast, recorded on September 9th, 2012. I am not a comic book industry insider. I'm not a literature or art major, but I know what I like, and this is my podcast to unpretentiously tell you what that is. Well, as I said above, this is now a monthly podcast. The intent is to do it on the first weekend of each month, which rather clearly didn't happen this month due to time constraints. Yep, on Labor Day weekend. But here we are this week with the best of the best of what I read in the interim, or were not the best issues that made me want to at least comment about them. And since this is monthly, it may go a bit longer than usual, so let's see what happens. And let's start with Marvel Comics and Daredevil number 17 from Marvel, Mark Wade writing Michael Allred Art, The Great Divide. This is mostly a, a backstory, almost a filler in some ways, of a particular case and a particular secret that once divided Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock, just as they are now divided by mysterious forces. It's a great done-in-one with a dozen different personal touches from Wade that make it a great story about a silly Silver Age villain and a mystery that would have seen hackneyed at the time but now works totally in character. I'm not really a fan of Allred's art, but it does lend a certain clumsiness to the tale that fits the era nicely. Um, four stars. I liked this a lot. X-Factor number 243 from Marvel. Peter David writing, Leonard Kirk on the art. Breaking Points, day three. David is doing some supergroup deconstruction here, and at the same time, two of the things he does best running characters through an emotional, life-changing ringer, and reconciling years of continuity into something new but satisfying. In this case, the focus is on Lorna Dane, Polaris, who's been an X-Men feature since the original days, I think back 1968-69, and has gone through a variety of both mental breakdowns and origin story breakdowns, constantly either making her the daughter of Magneto or making her definitively not the daughter of Magneto that David manages to take all of this, make it all come together in a well-fitting explanation, complete with some major action sequences and emotional kicks in the gut, is truly remarkable and to be applauded, along with Leonard Kirk's flexible, expressive, heroic, yet human art. Four stars. I liked this a lot. The New Avengers, number 29, from Marvel, Brian Bendis writing, Mike Diodato on the art. Bendis continues to bring his Avengers decade to a close as, in the midst of the AVX storyline, some of the erstwhile members of the Illuminati, Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Professor X, Doctor Strange, and Namor, along with Captain America, meet to discuss whether they can, or even should, stand in the way of the Phoenix Five's minions on Earth. It's primarily classic Bendis talking heads and character profiles, but it illustrates really nicely how far all of these characters have changed over the course of this subgroup's history, from hubris to near despair. Uh, Good, good stuff, well executed, four stars. I liked it a lot. The Punisher, issues number 14 through 15, from Marvel, Greg Rucka writing, Miko Swayan and Marco Cecchetto on the art, 
Uh, the final takedown of the exchange continues with both Frank and Rachel executing their raid on the group's headquarters, but they're not the only ones driven by madness and violence and revenge, and by the end of number 15, things have gone horribly wrong for our anti-heroes. Uh, there's good character and plotline payoff going on here, not surprising from Ruka. The art is appropriately moody, but for some reason this series is not blowing me away as much as I'd hoped. It's at its best when it focuses on the people around Frank, influenced by his actions. This issue focuses mostly on those actions in the taut, thrilling way that Ruka can do, but almost at one or two emotional removes from the reader. Good, not great stuff. Three stars. I liked it. The Defenders, number 10, from Marvel, Matt Fraction, writing Jamie McKelvey and Mike Norton on the art. This issue is a great example of why this promising series, protecting the humanity from the impossible, has just never gelled for me. Uh, its wit has been forced and always a beat or two off. The characters are a great ensemble, but show no sign of actually engaging with each other. And the plot has been so far removed and convoluted from most of the rest of the Marvel Universe, it's hardly seemed worth it for even that aspect. A Thousand Avenues of Promise, none of them quite fulfilled. Two stars. It was okay. Hawkeye, number two from Marvel. Matt Fraction writing David Aha. Aja? Aha. Art, A-J-A. I do not know how to pronounce that last name. I should probably look it up. Just to demonstrate that Fraction can actually handle characters, unlike in The Defenders, the second issue of this new Hawkeye series continues to charm. This title, focusing on what Clint Barton does when he's not running around in the Avengers, serves multiple purposes. In this case, humanizing a superhero, focusing on what it means to be a really trained but normal human in a world of metahuman giants, and in this issue... Uh, furthering a relationship uh, here with Kate Bishop from the Young Avengers, who actually took over the Hawkeye name for a while, and who's now training with Clint. The art is expressive but gritty, and takes this issue's caper, which will have repercussions down the line, to a nicely human level. This title is just starting, and it's definitely worth picking up the back issues to, if you can find them. Four stars. I liked it a lot. AVX, number five of six from Marvel. I have to admire the basic premise of this book. This is actually the A versus X, not the Avengers versus X-Men title. Uh, this particular title's premise is forget about plot, let's just have some one-on-one -on -one battles between the two sides. Because after all, that's the kind of beer and pretzels thing that every pair of comic book fans likes to sit down and debate, even if the results have been mixed uh, in mixed in terms of demonstrating that whoever is writing can come up with a plausible way that even Willie Lumpkin could defeat Galactus. This issue is more of the same uh, in its Hawkeye versus Angel pairing, but the second round shown, Jason Aaron writing, Tom Rainey on the art, is something more as it's Black Panther versus Storm and makes a better final story about the two of them than has ever actually been managed in the rest of the Marvel Universe since they suddenly got married. Uh, so I have to give this all three stars. Uh, I liked it. Um, good work on that part. Speaking of Jason Aaron, we have Wolverine and the X-Men, number 15 from Marvel. Jason Aaron writing, Jorge Molina on the pencils, on the eve of battle. As usual, the AVX material here is handled better by the peripheral books than by the core ones. Uh, this particular issue is full of a lot of 
dialogue between characters as refugees from Utopia get acquainted with the folks at the school, and the core X-members there, including Charles Xavier, prepare to battle alongside the Avengers against the Phoenix Five. It's just a nice overall joy to read with wit and humor and drama and more humor and some quiet still moments of characterization. Nicely done, four stars, I liked it a lot. Um, definitely picking up trade collections of this particular title. Journey into Mystery, number 642 from Marvel. Karen Gillan and Matt Fraction writing. Carmine Di Giondomenico on the art. Everything Burns, Part 1, The Match. It looks like all the Thorverse stuff built over the past year or two since the Fear Itself event is about to come crashing or burning down, and it looks like it's little Loki going to take the blame as all of the good things he's done and the bad things, but for good reasons, start coming into play to haunt him. Surtur is marching upon the Nine Worlds. The Vanir are striking out against the Aesir. All manipulate behind the scenes to destroy him, among other things, but it looks like he's a main target for all of this. And the only one on little Loki's side, standing up for him against all of Asgard, including the Warriors 3, his brother Thor. Uh, good stuff, continuing back and forth between this title and the Mighty Thor title for a while. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Also from Marvel, a couple of trade paperbacks I read. Avenging Spider-Man, Volume 1, My Friends Can Beat Up Your Friends. From Marvel, collecting issues number 1 through 5. I've been pretty soundly out of the Spider-Universe for several years, so I didn't pick up this title up front, which is a shame because it's a hoot, with Spidey teaming up with some of his Avengers buddies, or not-so-buddies, in the tradition of Marvel team-up of days gone by, but with character and style and fun and adventure. This volume includes team-ups with the Red Hulk, Hawkeye, and Captain America, and not only are all three stories, Zeb Wells doing the writing, ripping adventures, by the time they're done, you actually know more about both Spidey and his teammates, not to mention their relationship to each other. The Peter Parker, Steve Rogers uh, tale was particularly well done. Four stars! I liked this a lot. Captain America, Man Out of Time from Marvel. Mark Wade writing, Jorge Molina on the art. Collecting the five-issue miniseries meant to re-establish Cap's appearance in the modern Marvel Universe. Wade writes this one from the heart, examining Cap's displacement from his past and his joy and disappointment in the modern era. There is some timeline-crunching cognitive dissonance by having Cap come back within the past four, five, six years, so that, you know, Obama is the, the president that he first encounters in the modern era, and young Rick Jones is using Google to help Cap uh, discover crime and stuff like that. But overall, it's a good and worthy tale of a man who discovers that home is where you make it, and that all times have their good and bad sides to them. Three stars. I liked it. All right, that was the Marvel stuff. On to DC. Justice League, number 12 from DC. Jeff Johns writing art by Jim Lee et al. Rescue from Within. This issue exemplifies the problems that I have with the new 52 and its Justice League beautifully. The whole, quote, mistrusted by humanity bit, fostered by someone whose backstory is more complicated than I choose to go into now. The bickering personalities, Wonder Woman, 
as sword-wielding warrior versus ambassador of peace, heck, Batman comes across as a more nurturing personality. And ultimately, the big telegraphed, broadcast, publicized, yuck, Superman and Wonder Woman have a big kiss and kick off a romance thing. It all just feels horribly, horribly ginned up and manipulated to engender conflict and excitement and fanboy squeals and for me at least it just doesn't work it's not that it's explicitly bad um the artwork is nice if nothing else if nothing else but it just doesn't feel unique engaging compelling interesting um, this Justice League is less than it ever was, even back in the Justice League Detroit days, simply because it's so petty and manipulative and uninspiring. Uh, two stars. It was distinctly okay. Remarkably, some of the most engaging, compelling, and interesting stuff that DC has been putting out there uh, in the past month or two has been its controversial Before Watchmen series. Though the different writers have taken different approaches to the material, they've all been really pretty good um, tales. Let's start with Rorschach, number one of four, Brian Azzarello writing Lee Barmejo on the art, Damn Town, which is perhaps the least successful of the books that have come out, if only because Rorschach was such a known, revealed quality in the original Watchmen. Uh, Azzarello plays with uh, him and his world uh, just as he was, only with a bit more violence and blood and, and sickness and so forth, which doesn't illuminate as much as it plays with the topic, uh, with not a lot of new to say, only old stuff to riff on from a slightly more modern perspective. Um, I don't know what else Azzarello could have done with this. I can't think of someone other than Azzarello who could take on the character in this way, but this particular title is feeling more of a rehash of what was in the original Watchmen than something new or worth having done. Dr. Manhattan, number one of four, from Joe Straczynski on the writing and Adam Hughes on the art, What's in the Box, suffers a bit from the same problem. We know so much about Manhattan's story from the original, it's hard to get a concept in edgewise, but Straczynski manages to do so to some degree as Manhattan seeks to figure out his own origin um, and how his perception of time and space across uh, all of what's going on can be extended to actually see how he began. It's a very human existential sort of thing and reveals some interesting bits and bobs. Um, Hughes does a, a remarkable job here on the artwork of adhering to Dave Gibbons' original style. Um, in some ways, this is perhaps the book that Alan Moore would object least to if he ever were to pick it up, because so much of it seems to fit in very neatly and supplementary to what he established in his own work. Three stars. Uh, I liked it. Not great yet, but uh, I liked it. Ozymandias, number two of six, Len Wein writing, Jay Lee on the art, The Hand That Mocked Them. Uh, our protagonist goes into action as Ozymandias, establishes a name for himself, a nom de guerre, and begins to look at the masked vigilante phenomenon as a whole, which leads to his first encounter with one of the Watchmen, and it's not looking to be a pleasant one. Lee's art here is exquisite, a perfect match for the highly crafted mythic character that Ozymandias is turning himself into. Uh, this book is doing a nice job of filling in some, some gaps from the original in a way that complements and enhances it all. So I give it four stars. I like it a lot. 
Also liked a lot is Silk Spectre, number three of four, Darwin Cook writing, Amanda Connor on the art, no illusion. As young Laurie Jupiter gets involved in the youth scene at Haight-Ashbury, goes on a remarkable LSD trip, and sets out to seek revenge on a drug lord, other forces from her past are beginning to manipulate her life. I am really enjoying this book. Uh, Connor's art gives the story a fresh innocence that, even in the face of violence and sex and nudity, um... It maintains, and Cook's doing a fine job of the tale in and of itself. What I'm not quite getting is how this will lead, in one more issue, to the Laurie Jupiter we meet in The Watchmen. Barring that not-so-minor quibble, this is good stuff. I'm just curious as to whether it's going to seem odd to see Laurie when this is all said and done, um, when I reread Watchmen after the Before Watchmen series is over. Uh, Four stars! I liked it a lot, just in and of itself. Minutemen, number three of six. Uh, Darwin Cook, again, writing and art, Child's Play. Cook continues his story of the original Minutemen in the 40s, from the kicking out of the comedian from the group, to the war effort, to Night Owl and the Silhouette's tragic fight against child abuse, and the contrast uh, for all of these to the, the comic books of the time and the comic book sensibilities of what the public looks for in their heroes. Cook's writing is both good drama on its own and illustrated just, illustrated just right, but it's also filling in backstory to the Watchmen nicely and neatly, not in a way that... that complicates or, or opposes, but, but complements the original story well. I'm not entirely certain it's worth it. The story is good, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, the question is, did you need to see more of the Minutemen in order to understand the Watchmen? Um, four stars, nevertheless. Uh, I liked it a lot. DC's also been doing this month in their regular comics, uh, starting up some Issue Zero origin tales of their particular titles and their characters. It would have been nice if I had thought these backstories were a third as coherently imagined when the New 52 started a year ago. Um, but from everything I can tell, the New 52 started with just a, a heinous lack of understanding of what the the actual continuity of the DC New Universe was going to be, which has led to contradictions and concerns and strange, odd gaps and, and time crunches that uh, a lot of DC fans are not particularly thrilled about. At any rate, um, let's look at Phantom Stranger, number zero from DC, Dan DiDio writing, Brent Anderson pencils, A Stranger Among Us. Uh, the Phantom Stranger has always been one of my favorite sort of third-party, omniscient, mysterious uh, magic characters in the DC uh, universe. Um, this is a nicely told origin... Uh, excuse me. Uh, no, that's the next issue. Uh, this issue tells the origin of the Phantom Stranger. Um, now, he's had about a dozen speculated origins over the decades. Uh, in fact, there was a... DC Comics Presents, I think, that was basically four stories by four writers about four possible origins for the Phantom Stranger. And personally, in my opinion, he was the better for us not knowing the truth. Um, it made him more mysterious. Um, this issue demonstrates that, perhaps by hinting broadly at who the Stranger is without actually coming out and saying it. 
uh, why they're so coy is unclear, and presenting him as a somewhat stereotypical, tragic, eternally wandering figure than an actor in his own right. It's not clear how he is going to be leading up a title on his own book uh, in the future. Uh, we will have to see that. Um, Despite some neat bits about his groovy necklace, uh, the issue falls mostly flat as the stranger plays a role in the creation of the Spectre, who I guess is now back in the DC New Universe, and learns the true nature of his curse. Ho, hum, two stars, it was okay. World's Finest, number zero, from DC, Paul Levitt's writing, Kevin McGuire and Wes Craig on the art, beginnings this is a nicely told origin tale for both Helena Wayne, Robin of Earth 2, and Kara L, uh, Supergirl of uh, Earth 2. Their early heroic lives uh, there and the tragedy, family tragedy, that brings them together. Uh, the book's nicely written, it's nicely drawn, and frankly, I could just read about these two's adventures on Earth 2 quite happily without the whole rest of the new 52 intruding. Plus, I like both their Earth 2 costumes better than their Earth 1 Huntress and Power Girl outfits. Four stars! I liked this one a lot. Over in DC's Vertigo line, we have Saucer Country, number six. Paul Cornell writing, Jimmy Broxton on the art, a field guide to flying saucers. A bit of an info dump on UFO history and lore, it's still a good opportunity to get the protagonists working on the same page in this political thriller, not to mention add some additional bizarre twist to the tale. Rarely is a comic book so thought-provoking even if the story in the issue is not that compelling. It's going to be time for a trade collection, and one is, in fact, coming at the end of November. I recommend getting it. Three stars. I liked it. Fables, number 120, DC Vertigo, Bill Willingham writing, Mark Buckingham on the pencils, Beach Toys, part seven of Cubs in Toyland, in which we learn more of the Lost Toys plot, our lost heroine learns of her brother's presence, and said brother discovers that sometimes choosing between the sword and the cup is not only a false choice, but that sacrifices must be made. This is perhaps one of the most chilling and disturbing of the fables tales Willingham has told, and I'm on the edge of my seat for the conclusion to come. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Fairest, number seven, from DC Vertigo. Matthew Sturgis writing, Sean McManus on the art, La Mia. Why is the Beast of Beauty and the Beast in 1946 Los Angeles, hunting down a monster he's encountered a dozen times in the past? And why does he need to get to her before Monster Hunter St. George does? A solid done-in-one tale, as it should be, and a bit of noir that actually fundamentally tweaks the Fables universe, which is even more remarkable. Four stars. I liked it a lot. You're hearing a lot of that in this podcast, because like I said, I, I tried to pick the... Issues, for the most part, that I liked the best. Um, so, uh, moving on to some trade paperbacks, or one in particular from DC. Secret Six, Volume 1, Six Degrees of Devastation. Uh, DC, Gail Simone writing, Jimmy Palmiati on the art. I became a big fan of the Secret Six during their uh, reincarnation in the recent DC Universe. Um, a band of renegade villains thrown together through plot and eventually held together through a variety of personal ties. Villains with feet of clay and hearts of, well, not gold, but perhaps cast iron, doing bad things but for reasons and in ways more complex than it might seem. This is the first volume collecting one through six of the series from back in 2006. And we have sex and violence and multiple counts of betrayal, and just when you're ready to root for someone to be killed 
killed off, they do something that makes you want to reconsider that. And just once you think that somebody is becoming a hero, they do something that makes you reconsider that. Far more interesting than anything DC is doing today. And taking risks with characters uh, without the feeling of exploitation I get in DC's current grim and gritty titles. Um, four stars. I liked it a lot. Over to the third-party, non-DC Marvel side of things. Invincible, number 94 from Image. Robert Kirkman writing Ryan Otley and Corey Walker on the pencils. The big invasion continues. Marcus stuck on the sidelines. All the other heroes continue to fight. And we learn more about what happened to Rex and Monster Girl while on another planet for thousands of years. Is Kirkman leading to a grand guignol death of everyone? Or just Mark? Or who knows? All we know is that someone dies in issue 100, uh, six issues from now. This is a bad place to jump onto this title, but I'm glad I'm already along for the ride. Rachel Rising, number 10, from Abstract, Terry Moore writing an art, in which we learn more about the origin of the creepiness around the town of Manson and how our protagonist got pulled into it, which is intensely creepifying, but once again demonstrates that mystery is even spookier than revealed mystery. Four stars, still, I liked it a lot. And in trade paperback, The Boys, Volume 11, Over the Hill with the Swords of a Thousand Men, from Dynamite, Garth Ennis writing, Russ Brown on the art. The penultimate volume of the Mature Audiences series, as the plots of the Homelander come home to roost, the conflict between the boys and Vote American reaches a climax, and a whole lot of people die horribly. But all for a good cause. Ennis's tale of the corruptibility of humans, especially with the comparatively absolute powers, sometimes gets a bit too bloody and, and over the top for its own worth, but there are gems within the gore here and sacrifices and bravery that might not have been expected. A lot of people would end the story, uh, the series, right here, uh, but Ennis has been playing his own Nietzschean Into the Abyss long game, and so after this, there's one more, even more tragic arc. Four stars, uh, I liked it a lot. Polly and the Pirates, Volume 2, Mystery of the Dragonfish, from Oni Press. Ted Natha on the writing, and Robbie Rodriguez on the art. There's potentially so much goodness here, as Polly and her alternate universe 19th century San Francisco must face both pirates, good and bad, and mad inventions from sinister overseas forces, all while trying to save the unjustly imprisoned Emperor Norton. Rodriguez's artwork, though, while charming, made following the action, or even who's who, difficult at times, and the story had a muddled, episodic feel to it. It just didn't quite work for me, but it's a good all-ages action-adventure, and your mileage, or your kid's mileage, may seriously vary from mine. Two stars. It was... okay. Finally, <sighs> our top stars for the month. Best cover of the month. Ferrist, number six, DC Vertigo, Bill Willingham writing, Phil Jimenez on the art, Adam Hughes on the cover, A Field Spotter's Guide to True Love, Chapter 6 of Wide Awake. This is the issue that takes place before the issue I just talked about with the Beast in 1946 Los Angeles. Uh, Willingham uh, is wrapping up a, a six-issue story here, a conclusion of a fabled tale of Alibaba and Briar Rose and the Ice Queen and rules lawyers and vengeance and a true love. Uh, Willingham writes clear, cleverly as always, weaving mythic elements in and about, leading to lovely mashups and unexpected results, not to mention unexpected protagonists. I'm quite glad he's decided to expand the fable verse into two titles, even if he isn't writing everything in both. Jimenez's interior art is lovely to behold, but it's 
Adam Hughes on the cover, one of my favorites, that steals the show for me. Uh, a little Art Nouveau for the sleeping beauty at the center of this story. Uh, four stars. I like it a lot. I'd give five stars to the cover. Best all-ages comic. DC Comics presents Wonder Woman Adventures number one, 100-page spectacular from DC. Once upon a time, DC had a title called Adventures in the DC Universe, a kid-friendly series of tales starring their main characters in approachable but enjoyable exploits. This book collects four issues from this late 90s title featuring Wonder Woman, and it's a great book to give to kids or read as an adult looking for lighter fare, as long as you realize beating a dead horse here, that practically nothing here is the same anymore. And if you read this or have your kid read it and then have them go and look for some of these characters in the current DC New Universe, you won't find characters that are like these characters. Sometimes in appearance, sometimes the whole person is different, sometimes it's just personality-wise they've decided to change them for something that they think will be more interesting. On occasion, that's true. For the most part, not so much. Um... That's sad, as is the, the whole concept that a modern all-ages DCU Justice League-style comic is practically unthinkable. Four stars. Uh, I liked it a lot. Best trade paperback I read over the last month. Secret Avengers Volume 3. Run the mission, don't get seen, save the world. Warren Ellis doing the writing and diverse hands at the art. This collects issues 16 through 21 of the book where Warren Ellis came in and made it all a freaky, wonderful mix of mad science, spy tales, creepy magic, time travel, and Secret Avengers. Each of the stories here is very different, and each is a gem in its own way. This is grown-up, thoughtful, mind-blowing, superhero comic book writing. Highly recommended. Five stars. I thought it was amazing. The best comic book I read over the last month? Avenging Spider-Man, number 11, from Marvel. Zeb Wells writing, Steve Dillon on the art. I mentioned above, previously, how this title is a zany, lightweight hoot, but with a lot of characterization. Well, this issue is very different on the lightweight side of things, as in honor of Spidey's 50th anniversary in the real world, we get one of the best Spider-Man stories ever, uh, in my opinion, as Peter and his Aunt May talk about his Uncle Ben's death and Peter's ongoing guilt over it. It's touching, it's personal, it's profound, it's meaningful, and it's a damn fine comic book, uh, worth picking up in back issues or when it gets collected in this title. Seriously, good stuff. Five stars. All right, um, that, I think, is that, as they say. I'm not going to do any overall scorekeeping for which uh, company got the most four stars, five stars, whatever, because, honestly, there were a dozen other good comics that I left out that I didn't have anything new to say about, and some others that were disappointments, but likewise. Um, doing this podcast on a monthly basis is, I think, a good thing, even if the prep for it takes a lot longer than I'd want. Uh, because it meant that I could just read comics and set the ones that I really liked or wanted to talk about aside without rushing through the week for the weekend podcast. Once a month, I think I can handle it. Let me know if you agree. Only other potential downside is that it has taken about 30 minutes to do this, and that's a longer podcast than I'm sure that people want to that I think that people may want to listen to. So we'll have to see about that as well. At any rate, thank you for listening to this Dave Does the Comics podcast. On my homepage, which you can find through the wonders of Google, you can see all of the lovely covers for all of these lovely comic books and leave comments on your on the podcast. 
Um, I can be reached there or tweeted at three underscore star underscore Dave. I welcome your feedback, especially your suggestions for books I should try. I hope you've enjoyed this 31, 32 minutes out of your life. Thanks again. And as Stanley is so fond of saying, Excelsior. Excelsior.